as a participant in the audience or a leader that's setting up your participants for success, give them the notice to call them up and say, I'm going to come to you in this meeting. This is why I need your camera on. Give them a sense of purpose to participate and give them time to plan for it. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. Every week, I'm talking to thought leaders around the world who are knee-deep in solving some of the problems that are most vexing for us all, large and small. And still, they think the world and the future is a bright place. We need to know what they know. We need to know what their vision of what's possible looks like. And today we're going to talk to someone who I think has an amazing message for our times about communication and how we listen better and talk better. And well, the name of his book, let me introduce Riaz Megji. He's a human connections expert, keynote speaker and author of a book called Every Conversation Counts. And I knew when I read the title of that book that he's darn right, (laughs) because every conversation I have improves my way of thinking. So, Riaz, welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. Thank you. And I love how we're situated in nature watching this. If you're watching this with us, if you're hearing the sounds, I had to ask you, I'm like, is that a green screen or is that the real deal? And you said, that's it. You're in the middle of nature doing this. This is it. I'm on the family farm in Illinois, and this is one of the beauties of the pandemic. Riaz, would we ever connected? You're talking to me from the Olympic Village in Vancouver? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, downtown Vancouver. (laughs) Okay, we got to celebrate the the connections that are being made in this world, probably because of uh, coming out of the pandemic, and this is one of them. Yeah, your book is really, really quite new, and you, you published during the heart of the pandemic, right? Were you writing away during the pandemic? Yeah, the the book was published in February of 2021. And, you know, obviously the the lead up, the timing was really interesting because the question of publishing during that time, as you plan things out in my mind and with our team was, are we going to be past this issue of loneliness and isolation? Will there be fatigue of talking about it where the, the message and the content would be an afterthought, but it ended up being released as the first wave led to the second wave and the third wave of this pandemic where, you know, people were really open and vulnerable about the challenges they were facing. So the book has is, is kind of been a tool to help them open up in just powerful ways and talk about what matters most. I tell you, I'm going to refer to the book many times in this conversation because there were just certain little, uh, little, you have a nice way of putting a quote at the beginning of every chapter that kind of is a synopsis. And I mm. love those so much because they, they seem obvious after you read them, but not being used in common communication in society altogether. So please share with us some of your your story to how you got here and what's made you the kind of person that could offer all these good, timely insights right in the middle of a big, big hoo-ha. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Big hoo-ha. I'm going to start calling the pandemic the big hoo-ha. Big hoo-ha. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's an Illinois word. <laughs> That's a good word. That should have a full page, you know, in itself. For, for me, I, I mean, I've been interviewing people for, for, for 20 years with, with a broadcast career on television, and I've always had this fascination of what it is about people that, that differentiates them from having an idea to executing it and what success looks like. And I found whether it was working in the news, working for MTV, doing a morning show here, a television morning show in Vancouver for 10 years, that there were two little things that stood out with 
the the people that that made a difference, the people that were the difference makers, and it was humility and discipline. And some of the greatest achievers were the ones that no matter how much success that they had, they always maintained some type of beginner's mindset that there was still an opportunity to learn in any given conversation. And they were the ones that not only had the idea, but the discipline to wake up and do something towards that goal every single day. And that inspired me. And I think it was back in 2012, three days before I gave a TED talk at TEDx Simon Fraser University, because that's where I went to university for my business degree, and then made the logical next step into broadcasting after finishing. Somebody said to me, they're like, you're going to give this talk. I'm sure you've had some fascinating conversations, but what's the title of this talk going to be? And that really made me sit down and ask myself, why is it that I love what I do? Why is it that I wake up at 3.30 in the morning to host a television morning show? And it was the power of any given conversation. And that TED Talk for TEDxSFU was you know, titled Every Conversation Counts. So for years, it was a fascination and then a documentation of the conversations that were had, shared, and inspiring, just documenting stories and tools with the idea in the back of my head, one day, this could be a book. And that day happened in February of 2021. Mm-hmm. You tell a lovely story that I like to remind people about that, you know, you seem to have totally found your calling, what you were uniquely built to contribute in this book. That There's just no doubt about it. I'm sure you have many more iterations to go of your knowledge, but I really felt like I was reading or talking to, I list, I got you, the way I do it is I buy the book and the book on tape, and then I, I annotate as I'm listening to you speaking. And that's another thing. Riaz does his own reading of his book, which is you know, I, re- I read in the car and it's like having you sitting next to me. And what I really liked about your book is that, you know, your journey reminds us all that every day, everything that we've done in the past is important to exactly who we are today and what, what we're offering, what we're bringing to the world. Uh, give us just a little bit more of that scope. You've interviewed some amazing people. I loved, oh, there was a great story. Well, we're going to get to that, but uh, give us a little bit more context about the way, oh, the J- there's a great James Brown story that, uh, that I loved that mm-hmm. has a lesson in it. Tell that story. Cause this is, Riaz, this book is full of little stories like this. <laughs> well, uh, to, to make a long story short with the James Brown story, he was interviewing Shaggy and Shaggy uh, being on tour with James Brown and, and, uh, you know, the relationship that he had of James Brown seeing Shaggy's talent and this bond that they had because, you know, Shaggy, it was intimidating being there with the Godfather of Soul, but he kept the realness. And uh, I'm not going to give the full story away, but it was just a glimpse into the life of somebody else of greatness meets greatness. And if everybody stays humble, if, if there's if there's a humility on each side, a bond can be built, which was built with these two. And I love Shaggy's honesty in that conversation of what life was like on tour. And it, it, you know, the whole concept is when you hear every conversation counts, I've had some people Linda say to me, well, how does every conversation count? Like, that's not possible. There's some, there's some conversations that won't. And the thing that I say is, well, not every conversation is going to be life-changing, but every conversation has the potential to change a life. And I think the message behind every conversation counts is just being intentional and breaking out of autopilot mode with our conversations, because we can have an expectation or assumption of, this is how it's going to go because this is the way it always goes. But if we stay open, if we stay curious a little bit longer and ask some questions, we might unlock something that we didn't expect. And, you know, one of the messages and ideas are, I'm a huge champion of, whether it's interviewing somebody for our broadcast or just looking to connect in any social situation or important meeting is to over-prepare 
to improvise because preparation gives you confidence, but our ability to stay present, to listen and just improv in the moment. If somebody gives you something, a piece of themselves that you weren't expecting, follow that emotion and powerful, powerful, powerful relationships can be built and unlocked. Yeah, it really does come down to, for me, my listening skills. And you talk a lot about that. In fact, I think there's like a, a whole chapter of, of, of listening better. Now, it reminds me when I start a conversation with anybody, I start out saying to myself, I'm listening for what I was supposed to hear. That would further mm. my journey, improve my way of thinking. And I got that, that you were just so open to whatever happens. Talk to us all about listening. Let's start out there because that's just such a great place. to. <laughs> it's probably one of the more points of intrigue for this book, the listening, because it is so personal for all of us. And the science behind listening is fascinating to begin with in a culture that moves so fast and a culture that I think before the pandemic maybe rewarded multitasking. But now the pandemic, I believe one of the great lessons has taught us to be present in the moment. And when it comes to listening, if we look at the science, our brains can absorb what four to 500 words per minute. If the average person is speaking at a rate of 125 to 150 words per minute. And if you look at the ability, we're almost too smart for our own good when it comes to listening. That's why we get caught up in multitasking. That's why technology can get uh, in the way because we just have this insatiable appetite for information and for knowledge. So I, I could you know, say I'm listening to you and then try and pull down some information off my email, scroll on my phone and so much is happening. And then the other challenge uh, with listening is the emotional distraction that in a polarized time that we're in right now, that if we disagree with someone or have different ideologies, as soon as that realization happens, in some cases, we could emotionally shut ourselves off and then we stop listening altogether, even though we're giving them eye contact and can hear the words, but are we truly absorbing them and staying open? So I think step one, and that's a habit in this book, is how we listen without distraction. And hearing all of those things of how the brain works, then it breaks down to asking ourselves and auditing ourselves on a daily basis. What are the things that get in the way of us truly listening? Not just hearing, but listening to what is being said and what isn't being said from the person in front of us. And whatever those distractions are, start picking those off one by one. Try one thing a week. And then once we clear out those distractions, it's amazing to see how presence is amplified and how connections are deepened with the conversations we're having. Absolutely. Okay, so you've, you've already brushed right into it. So let's dive into the five habits of human connection because you've mentioned listening is one of them. Tell, mm -hmm. tell me more. About listening or about the habits? The five habits. So yeah, so the five habits. So we've got listening without distraction. We've got make your small talk bigger. And I know anytime you throw out the two words small talk, people are like, Ugh. I dread it. And they've been able to avoid it during the pandemic. But guess what? This could be a powerful tool to, to build trust in your foundation. And when we look at the idea of making the small talk bigger, the thing that I've realized talking to people of why they just don't like the exercise is because many of us look at small talk as a defense mechanism. Like it's this defense mechanism to prevent us from the embarrassment of getting emotional in front of someone we don't know. Or perhaps the fear of triggering someone and releasing a great deal of emotion where you hit a nerve and you're not ready for their reaction. So we dodge it altogether. And if we want to make our small talk bigger, one of the things I really champion is looking at, looking at the idea of how we can lean in, focus on less info and evoke more positive emotion. And an easy example of how to do this is based on uh, the work of the late great uh, psychiatrist Gordon Livingston. And he focused on the happiness equation and the three greatest areas that could that could determine how happy somebody would be. And his work showed that the happiest people have something to do 
someone to love, and something to look forward to. All of those have such a high personal emotional quotient. And if you're thinking, well, if I have no preparation of the person in front of me, if I'm in this room thinking, how do I connect with the person in front of me? The philosophy I live by is look at you is greater than look at me. And if you explore those three areas as a starting point, what are you creating? Tell me about a relationship you've got in your life of someone you love. And what are you looking forward to? Watch what happens in the conversations. Amazing things really start to open up. And this are, these are things that we can even, I'm just processing this as you're saying it. If, if people wonder, I'm taking notes here at, at the back of Riaz's book. <laughs> so maybe sitting down, writing down. So I think that with that point that you just, you just last made, I mean, we can make steps in our own lives to like have a, a self-check. Am I doing the homework before I go to meet someone for coffee? Or am I, you know, do I, am I nurturing relationships of about people that I really care about. I mean, you can, you can influence these three things. It's very powerful. Like even the idea of you taking notes, I mean, that, that, that is a gift right there. Like one, I'll say thank you for it. And two, I think it's such a powerful exercise. Like one of the tools and techniques that uh, I've used that that's helped me over the years to build connections is to document uncommon commonalities. So you, you could be taking notes on something I've said here, Linda, and then a week, a month, a year down the line, you reach back out to me and say, hey, I remember that conversation that we had Riaz, for the podcast and you said this. And if you were to search your email instead of saying, hey, Riaz, hope you're well. Hey, Riaz, that time you talked about documenting on common commonalities, it totally changed my past year. Immediately, you've reemphasized the bond of the conversation that was once had as opposed to a generic hope you're well, which we have a pure intention with it but it's a missed opportunity. So the idea of asking somebody outside of a business setting, because we're so good at taking notes during the meetings, like, hey, who's taking a minute? But in a personal meeting, say, hey, do you mind if I take notes? Mm -hmm. That is such a compliment you can give to somebody, but it helps relieve the pressure and stress of trying to remember everything by just documenting one, two, three things that helped you, resonated with you, but keeps our connection alive, not only present in the moment, but you know, in the future when we check in again. I'm always surprised at how many podcasters, because I get interviewed a lot and I'm always surprised at how few have d even know what I talk about. No, any, they don't know anything about me. There's no preparation at all. Mm. And I think that you, you're speaking to doing that, that kind of hard work through the book, the, the actually not going through the motions through the whole book. It's just about one great reason after another to not go through the motions, just to be totally present and give that moment your all speak to that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you never know what, what is going to happen and what someone's going to give you. And, and the thing that I learned, and this was the mistake that I made in the beginning of my career, I would do all of this research and preparation and come up with a list of questions that I thought were the best questions in the world. And then I would watch the interview back and listen to it and think, yes, that was a success because I got to ask all of the questions that I came up. And then I slowly started realizing I'm missing the moment completely. And what I would do in the green room is bring in that preparation and confidence. And after I would exchange formalities, I would pause and then ask the guest, hey, so Linda, you know, like what, what's on your mind? And then just step back. And the information they would give me would allow me to prioritize their priorities because that's what's top of mind for them. And there would be so many pivots in interviews. I mean, and I'm talking about interviews on live television. You have five to seven minutes. You plan things out. Obviously, there's some key things to talk about. But if somebody's released something so raw and so real, that's what everybody wants right now. They want to see the person, not 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 just like the the title or the 
the persona that, that is expected. And that realness that people would give is then opening up a space of, hey, what do you feel safe with sharing? How can we elevate your message? That's where real connection happens. So I think it's the power of just being curious in the beginning, using your preparation, but just allowing them to just open up and share what they want to share. Lovely. So this comes real close to a topic I did want to ask you about because I'm noticing that this world of Zoom is wearing thin on some and others find it just delightful. I'm in the delightful mm. case. <laughs> you know, How can you not be? Look at your backdrop. Look at the, I can hear the sounds. You're owning your Zoom life in the pandemic. Well, I tell you, I never, I always have my camera on, Riaz. So where I'm going is one of the things that you and I chatted earlier a couple of weeks ago about talking about that I know you can be uniquely helpful in people's lives is to talk to us about this connection and conversation in the virtual world. I just really recently read some neuroscience about camera on, camera off. And it was really clear that we've got to have our cameras on to have any shot at connection. And so we made a rule on our Everwinding Circles team. You got to have your camera on unless you just want to get up and run to the bathroom or something. Just even if you're in your PJs, I don't care. But we need to see the whites of each other's eyes and our, our nodding of heads and our, our moments when, when we've, you know. So talk to us about, about virtual connection and conversations. Yeah, it, it, cameras on absolutely. Here's an interesting thing that that I use, and this could help if you're watching and listening to this. Is I keep my camera on, but my self view off, and I look for everybody else's camera on because Linda, if we were having this conversation in person, and you were standing in front of a mirror, and I'm looking down at the screen or looking at that mirror the whole time. I'm immediately distracting myself because our innate desire of social belonging and desire to impress the person in front of us. So then we start self-checking ourselves in the moment and thinking, am I gesturing correctly? Am I smiling enough? And it's taking you out of the moment. So I believe turning yourself you off and just looking directly in the lens will help with that realness to, to, to point your focus forward. Why body language is so important. This was something taught to me by my mentor, Nick Morgan, his communication coach. He said something that resonated with me to this day. And that's what, this is why we struggle in Zoom life. It's that gesture precedes conscious thought. And I'll say that again for, for the viewers and listeners. Gestures precedes conscious thought. I need you to hear that two or three times to say, yes, because if you agree with somebody, there's that little smirk like, yeah, okay, I like what you're saying. If you disagree, that little head tilt. And because of stalls in Zoom, we're missing those moments. And it's so much harder to read. So yes, cameras on for everybody in the room provides such an opportunity for connection. And one of the things, if you're struggling with, well, people just don't turn their cameras on. What do I do? The tip I give uh, to leaders is to call people up, not call people out. And how you do that is give people notice of the expectation well beforehand, because we're all living in different realities. Here, Linda, you, you've got an awesome backdrop to play with where it's like part of your identity to show that off. But if somebody is in close quarters or they don't want to show off their space, and then at the beginning of the call, somebody says, hey, everybody have your cameras on for this. They're not prepared for it. And then they're pressured. And then there's a sense of anxiety for the whole exercise altogether. So giving that notice well before the meeting itself, well before the presentation itself, that, hey, here's the expectation. Everyone's going to have their cameras on. I'm going to have my camera on. And we want to make this the best experience for you. We want your feedback as much as possible. Make it about them and the benefits for them to encourage them to turn their cameras on. So I think those, those are two quick ones. As the presenter, turn yourself you off so you can focus on your audience. And as a participant in the audience, 
or a leader that's setting up your participants for success, give them the notice to call them up and say, I'm going to come to you in this meeting. This is why I need your camera on. Give them a sense of purpose to participate and give them time to plan for it. That is lovely. Okay. So when we're in those Zoom meetings, you know, personality styles come up. The people that are genuinely just quiet and the people that are just out there wanting to share. Is there is there like an etiquette or a culture that's starting on Zoom around communication and taking turns and, and stepping up if you're one of the quiet ones? How, what's that look like? Yeah, I think it depends on the size of the meeting. If you're a leader running a meeting with, say, you know, six, seven people, I think there's a great opportunity for the leader to plan ahead and make sure everyone's voices are heard because you're right. It is a space where the extroverts can dominate the conversation and the introverts might feel like, you know, I'm disconnected. I wasn't even heard on this. And that's that's an opportunity for the leader to, to be proactive, call out names of someone in the meeting so they know, hey, I see you. I want to hear you and bring them in. When it's a big meeting, I mean, like, we would never have a conversation, Linda, the two of us, and then 100 people in a circle in person just sitting and listening. That, that's a different type of experience. So as the presenter, I would say, and what I found that, that has worked really well is, you know, every 10 minutes into, if you're doing a keynote presentation, uh, check in with them, throw out a question to them, create a sense of contrast. Like if we have a 60 minute keynote presentation, one of the things I've noticed that's worked really well, and I try to champion this idea, it is break things up where you could bring in a new voice and you have a question. One of the questions I love to ask is about your most important conversation. I will prep a leader beforehand and say, what is a story that stands out, you know, calling them up so they, they can share their moment so they don't feel anxiety in the moment that they don't have something to share. Plan for it. 10 minutes in, it's a different voice. Uh-huh. And then you get a different perspective. Then you go and present for 10 minutes more. You could run a poll. You, you could run something with 100 people in there just to drop a response. Tell me like um, a little known fact about yourself. Bang, everyone's sharing something really unique. I would go first as a presenter. And then everyone's like, this is fun. You know, you're sharing, you're seeing perspectives. Because if you were in person at a conference, very rarely do you get to see the stream of consciousness of everyone in the room. And I think that's the valuable part of virtual, the data you can get from people dropping comments, people dropping questions, and just responding of how people are feeling in the moment. And you can you can create those moments even if you're not the leader, I think, right? I, you see it happening sometimes in the chat. That That's lovely. And think of yourself as a catalyst in these conversations as well, yeah. right? So um, one of the things that I wanted to definitely ask you about is this, this notion of efficiency is the enemy of connection, because that's mm. what happens in Zoom meetings so often. Give us, uh, give us your thoughts on that. Everything's moving so fast that we can miss out on uh, the human connection to start the meeting out. How many workshops or meetings have we been in saying, everybody, thanks for being here. Okay, so here's the agenda. You know, it's the age-old adage. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them and then tell them what you told them. Boom, you're out. And you're thinking, what just happened here? <laughs> we, we, we got through information, but what about this sense of connection? Yeah. And I think there's such an opportunity at the beginning of each meeting to just check in on a human level of where are you at? You know, what was the highlight of the week? You know, what, what are you most grateful for for the past seven days? Tell me about something great happening in your life. And just starting with that and just having a moment where, it, you know, if you're in a bigger meeting, having people drop that in the chat box and then call it out and say, hey, Linda said this. Brittany, our producer, shared uh, her experience of when uh, her, her and Linda first started working together pre-pandemic. Like people want to be seen more than ever, especially in Zoom. And if you're using their name, if you're sharing their sentiment, you're activating them. They feel a part of it. And I think... 
we need to create that and not move so fast in this in this virtual world. That reminds me of something I um, I came across when I was doing my homework about your work is this, um, your TED Talk is all about sort of being able to do a toast of, for someone, of someone, anytime. That toasts have so much potential to deepen relationships and connection. Give us the gist of that concept, because I think that could work in, I, I never miss the opportunity to raise my hand and say, can I just say how great that last presenter was? I'm on a board for Vermont's largest agency on aging, and they're always bringing in speakers. And gosh, it's a hard task. And when somebody <laughs> knocks it out of the ballpark on a presentation, of numbers and data, I, I just raise my hand and give them a toast. But uh, your, that your TED Talk, if anybody really wants to learn how to celebrate others, Riaz's TED Talk is where you should go. Talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, thanks, Linda. And I would say the world needs more of what you're putting out there with that appreciation. And that that's the essence of what that talk uh, was all about. It was it was something to, to be fun of looking at the, the history of toasts, but it kind of weaves into habit five of the book of how do you make people feel famous and how do we celebrate the little things? Because right now, more than ever, people need a champion in their corner. They need, a, they need a cheerleader to say, hey, I see you. I recognize what you're doing. I acknowledge this. And most importantly, I want to celebrate this. And one of the ideas of making people feel famous, and, and I'm not saying this in a superficial or fleeting way, I'm saying this in a way to elevate through the power of appreciation because there's research that shows, uh, I believe it's 37% of people will work harder when they fear losing their job, but 81% will work harder when they receive some praise from the boss. Praising makes people work harder, motivates them. And how do we use that element of the toast or just the moment like you're describing with the speaker saying, hey, that was fantastic, is how we practice specificity. And sometimes we can easily say, hey, great job with a pure intent. And we believe it was a great job. But if we stop there, we miss out on that opportunity to articulate what made it so special. Like Linda, I appreciate, you know, this is a terrific job of this podcast to bring together thought leaders to inspire a world to look at what's possible even in some of the darkest times. Linda, this podcast moved me and inspired me to take action on a daily basis. You know, sharing that in a public way, like when we share things on social media and celebrating our champions. Yeah, make our praise public. Make it specific. Make it urgent like you just described. Don't wait for that next town hall to celebrate that person. Your hands up right away, Linda, saying, I just got to say, you know, that is great. And then making praise purposeful and connecting it to the values of your organization or, 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 you know, your community, your culture to say what you're doing is in line with what we're trying to achieve. And it's making a huge difference. Yeah. So if there's, if there's an opportunity with a toast or a gesture, it's how can you practice specificity with your praise and make people feel famous? That's awesome. Okay. We're going to take a break. And when I come back, we're going to dive into some really specific points in Riaz's book. So let's take a break. Hello, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles and the podcast you're listening to now, the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. And I have a question and an answer for you. Have you been hoping the world is actually a lot better than what you see on the news and social media? Well, it is. In fact, it's radically better. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. But on December 1st, 2021, all that changes with the launch of the Goodness Exchange, a digital landscape where you will see that the world is full of goodness and progress, and we will introduce you to the people making it that way. 
Bottom line, someone is solving every vexing problem in the world, large and small. And the goodness exchange is where people are coming together to amplify a future that includes all that. No one with good intention and good ideas need feel alone again. Here's what you'll find at the Goodness Exchange. There will be articles about the most amazing things going on in the world that are going uncelebrated. There'll be interviews and events that will send your mind and heart soaring again. And a social media platform dedicated to a culture of kindness, insight, and celebration. A way of um, amplifying a brighter future for us all. And that social media platform is a place where organizations doing good in the world will not have to hold their nose anymore. It can be a trustworthy, respectable place for organizations to host their groups and gatherings and connect with each other. A network of positive networks, if you will. The Goodness Exchange will be a place to find mini courses and masterclasses for personal and professional development, and eventually there'll be a jobs board, and we have a children's website already all teed up. The thread running through it all is that goodness um, and progress is everywhere, and we will help people cultivate what they are uniquely built to contribute to this future for us all. Now, imagine a website with no ads, no games, and no agenda, just a simple and powerful vision of combining our collective strengths to create a future we can all celebrate. The Goodness Exchange will open a new era for us all as individuals, because you're going to find stuff that make your life better instantaneously, and as a collective, because we all want a better future for our children. Who knows what's possible if there was a place on the internet that brought out our best impulses and our collective genius. Join us after December 1st at the Goodness Exchange and start living with less fear, more joy as an individual and as a collective future for humanity. Thanks. Now we're back to the interview. Okay, we're back. And you'll notice my background has changed because that lovely place where I was sitting began to rain and I could only <laughs> could only keep the technology dry so much. So Riaz, we're back and I want to dive straight into the book. This is a book that will change your perspective, both your outgoing and your incoming. I mean, I really like to protect my incoming. Social media, you've got a great chapter on how to think about social media and your communication there, which I hope we get mm-hmm. to. But I want to begin the second segment about the book somewhere that I think is really important and it's relevant to our lives in social media. So there's this great quote from the book. Again, um, Riaz has these, these great thoughts that if that's all you read in the chapter, you could have a takeaway practical message. He says, real connection isn't about perfection. Real connection comes from the ability to embrace imperfection. I think that's what we're all struggling with, with social media. So talk to us about this concept of imperfection and perfection. Yeah, I love that you picked up on that because that's one of my favorite lines from the book. And especially, it's, it's such a great learning from, from interviewing people for a living and, and, and just connecting. One of the conversations that stands out to me over the years was with, with Darren Hardy, who's the author of a terrific book called The Compound Effect. And he's, he was a former publisher of Success Magazine. Uh, he's been a mentor to CEOs around the world. And I was fortunate enough to have about 20 minutes in the room with him and just ask him about his craft because he's interviewed some of the biggest names. And I said to him, I said, Darren, what is the secret? 
Like, what is your secret to getting people to open up? And he said two words to this day that still stick with me. And he said, go first. And I said, go first. And I, and I said, I'm like, tell me about that. And he said, well, if you want to motivate somebody, find out what motivates them first and help them achieve that. And he said, if you want to create an inclusive culture and, and create a sense of safety, and let's be honest, psychological safety is a hot topic for a lot of people right now, especially in the virtual world. He said, go first. And I think of the example of if you're a leader and or if you're someone that's been on the team for a while and someone just got onboarded remotely and they're struggling with their first day, they haven't met anybody physically, go first and talk about what the struggles you had on your first day to humanize the experience to say it doesn't have to be perfect. And as soon as you kind of go forth and share your struggle, that's where connection happens. Connection happens in that struggle. So going first with that element of realness I think will op open things up and social media is a platform where you see some of that, but you also see the practice of perfection on the regular with the highlight reels. And a thing that I believe will lead to a breakthrough with social media and embracing imperfection is really creation over consumption. And what I mean by that is if we're using social media to get inspired, look for ideas, ask questions, share, go first and share vulnerable things and have productive conversations, even constructive conflicts. Social media can be a very powerful tool. But if we're using it in a passive way, where we get caught in what I call a scroll hole, you know those days where you just, yeah, with your finger on your phone, yep, like, okay. If we're using that in a passive way, the challenge that can exist is we could fall into a comparison mode of why does this person have that success and why am I here? Why is this person having so much happiness during this pandemic and I'm frustrated, isolated, lonely, and depressed? And then what happens is we fall into a pitfall of just judgment. Mm -hmm. And then that can amplify social isolation, stress, anxiety, and depression. So it's really how we can use it, how we can go first and use it in proactive ways and create rather than just passively consume. Yeah, you know, I noticed that in my, um, we talked a, a, a smidge, but I'm, I was actually a dentist for 25 years. And there is a profession, if there ever was one, that you have to get over fear and get into trust and you, uh, right off. And I found the best way to do that, to just take the emotional uh, safety to a, a really lovely level was to be vulnerable first. So if mm. I would walk up to somebody, sit down and maybe their age was important. If I want to say, you know, Riaz, I would never say, Riaz, how old are you? And then go into my dental yak about, I would say, Riaz, I'm 60. How old are you? I would mm. always be vulnerable first, whether it was conversations about depression or whatever. If I can find some way to just put myself out there as the vulnerable one first, I think we can change and improve a lot of conversations if with this concept of be willing to go first. Yeah, and, and you know, that's so valuable if we take it to your example of being the dentist, because as the dentist in that role, the patient has fear, you're the mentor, you're the guide with the solution to help them through a difficult time. And there's a concept known as the pathfall effect, because some people will say, hey, going first, well, when is it an overshare? When is it too much information? There's an important distinction where in the case of you as the dentist, you've established your respect and point of authority. And then going first can draw somebody closer, closer to you with that point of vulnerability. But if we haven't established that authority and respect and people are questioning your competence to begin with, if you do go first, in many cases, it can backfire as an overshare and create distance instead of bringing somebody closer. So I think there's an important question to ask of, where am I in this space? Have I worked hard? Do I have the respect of the room? Am I seen as that point of authority? And if you are, you have a valuable opportunity with that vulnerable 
uh, share or an idea of going first of what you can really do to create a safe space. So Riaz, I'm just noticing that I turned, I dog-eared a lot of different spots in that chapter. So if you want to know more about this exact thing, like what's oversharing? Because I think people are protecting their brand, their personal brand on social media so carefully that they're forgetting to share the most, the the lovely things in life that most people would agree are pretty cool. And, And this, this lack of willingness to be, well, you talk a lot about the mask in the book. That's a whole section of the book, the masks that we wear and how much better a world it would be or a workplace if we didn't have to go there with these masks on, if we could be just who we are. Give me some mm-hmm. thoughts about that too. I just want to give people a taste of this book because it's really full of important concepts. Yeah, thanks. I mean, the masks can serve us well. I mean, think about like a big job interview where you're terrified, but you want to put on like the confident face to see that, yes, this is a competent and capable person. Maybe we should consider hiring them. But in some cases, we, we over we over project and end up protecting ourselves from the actual moment that, that, that could be in front of us and asking ourselves, is the real version of myself showing up? And if it is, great. If it isn't, what am I sacrificing? You know, think about, I think about the era of dating right now, people online dating, think about the masks you put on with your profiles. Like where is the element of realness that everybody looks for? And, you know, this example of dating, I was talking to a matchmaking expert and she kind of gave insight of the masks we wear. This was the conversation we were having that you rarely meet somebody for the first time physically. Like when you meet them physically, you've already met them online. And you've got confirmation bias. You've seen their profile. You've read a blog. You've seen a photo. You've come up with your own perception and judgment of who they are. And then you meet them in person. And then you're just trying to confirm all the assumptions you came up with. So the society that we live in is what if you just removed your mask out of the gate and brought a sense of realness? Not everybody's going to do it. But if you do it, I think you set yourself up for a higher rate of success to build deeper connections with the people around you. And that's personally or professionally. Yeah, this is, I think it's a direction we're going in. I, I, I really love the folks in society who are just willing to put it all out there, that courage and accept what they get for friendship, accept that what they get for jobs and be real because mm. uh, you, you have a lovely quote in the book about that, that someone would rather be this than that. They oh. would rather they would rather have fewer friends, but be real with those friends. That uh, oh uh, yeah, you know what? I, I think you're referencing the quote, Caitlin Bristow, uh, best known from Bachelorette fame. We did an interview. Actually, this is a great interview. Uh, we did this at TEDx Vancouver, and it was great because of the realness she brought to it. And she said, "I would rather be hated for who I am than loved for who I am not." And I think that goes back. There's I, people reference it may, it may have been Kurt Cobain that said that way back in the day, but it's such a powerful quote. I'd rather be hated for who I am than loved for who I am not. It's just such a sense of realness and a statement that no matter how pure your intention is, you will never have 100% approval with what you put out to the world. And that is okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're counting down the minutes left in our interview and I can already tell, I didn't even get to half the questions that you and I talked about. (laughs) And I didn't even get to the many dog-eared spots in my book. So I I hope you'll come back and chat and we'll get deeper and deeper into the book because there's so many practical tips in here. And I really like this podcast to give people stuff they can use tomorrow. Yeah. 
I am going to ask you next time about the most important conversation you've ever had. Mm. And I think that this is, it's such a lovely concept that we can go deeper in, Riaz, because it's its a great place for us all to reflect. And we can yeah. learn about the impact we have on others and the impact that our, our listening skills can generate even in the most mundane moments in life. So, so wrap, yeah, so to wrap up, um, you know, tell us where people can connect with you first. Again, this is the book. Every conversation counts. Riaz, where can people connect with you and go deeper and deeper and deeper? Well, thanks for the question. The main place they can go is just to the website, riazmegji.com. It's got everything to do with the book. Uh, I also support leaders when it comes to uh, presenting, communicating, and connecting every time they speak. And there's just a bunch of resources on the blog that promotes the idea of meaningful human connection. So anything you want to know about this topic and this intrigued you in this conversation, uh, head to riazmegg.com. And we're going to put everything that Riaz and I mentioned, the, his TED Talk, we'll put the links there, the, the, the books that he's recommended, all down in the show notes here. This, this um, conversation will be a podcast interview, audio, and it'll be an article on Ever Writing Circles with the video. So it will live there on YouTube and we will refer to it over and over again. But if I can, after we're done talking here, we'll arrange a second part of part two. And I got to tell you that um, this book can be a, a major influence in your ability to thrive in these times in this new digital landscape. So thank you, Riaz. Uh, Linda, thank you so much. And hey, kudos to you. The fact that you had all these questions and we didn't get to them showed that, hey, the conversation was just free flowing today. So I appreciate what you brought to this and, and allowed me to share the message here on your podcast. Okay, we'll talk soon. Thanks. Off you go and I'll close the show because I know you've got something important to get to. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Riaz Megji, for joining us. He's run on to the next appointment, but I do have to say that with real sincerity, this book is really full of very, very practical tips and stories that help you remember the practical tips. And for more information, you can look at the show notes down below and find all kinds of connections. And remember to check out the Conspiracy of Goodness Network, which is a starter network for people who care about good in the world. We're creating one of the very first social networks that's based around providing a place for people who want a better world to connect. We're making a little bump in the road to join so that folks who just want to be a little bit more honorary <laughs> can stay on the other social media networks. But on the, on the Conspiracy of Goodness Network, we're going to build a community there around opening a new world, a new era. And we're going to create places and ways for people to connect with others who are like-minded, who can improve each other with way of thinking and be multipliers for our best impulses rather than our worst. And have a great day. Have a great week. Keep these suggestions in mind. And then we're going to talk to Riaz very, very soon and dive even deeper into conversation about communication and how every conversation can be important. Have a great day.